Good evening. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and love. We love you. We thank you for this time, Lord. We pray you speak to our hearts now. We look to your word, Lord. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I have the house lights on, guys. You can cut these things off. All right. Once you open to Matthew chapter 11, the message is entitled, How Do You Respond to the Gospel? Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 down to 30. The gospel of salvation had reached man from the days of John the Baptist at the Jordan to the very preaching of Jesus Christ. Men and women were entering the kingdom of God, but there were many who were not. What is your response to those that are saved now that you're a Christian? Do you rejoice with them? Or do you see someone get saved and you say, Doggone it, I want them in heaven. What is your attitude to those who reject the gospel and are saved? Is it anger? Is it hatred? Or is it compassion that drives you to pray for them? I want to look at the response of Jesus, including his attitude towards both of these groups here. In Matthew eleven twenty five through 30. Let me read the text here. At that time, Jesus um, answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seems good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The response of Jesus, including his attitude to both of these groups who accept the gospel and those who reject, is given to us here. In verse 25 and 26, we have the proclamation of thanks to those open to salvation. Then in 27, we have the declaration of truth for salvation. And then he gives us the invitation for salvation. In verse 28 through 30, he begins with the proclamation of thanks of those open to salvation. Look at 25 and 26. In 25, the setting is marked by the phrase, all at that time. That's when Jesus answers this. John's disciples had come to inquire if there was another they should be looking for because John's in prison. They asked this in verse 2 through 6 of the chapter. Now, the works of Christ did not align themselves with John's message of judgment. And therefore, John misunderstood the mission of Jesus to an extent. Remember the Jewish mind, they thought that the Messiah was coming to set up the kingdom right away. 
They never saw the church age. John wasn't doubting his Messiahship. He just couldn't correlate the judgment of God coming in the Jewish mindset to set up the kingdom and Jesus doing nothing to set up that kingdom. Now Jesus clears John of any suspicions that he doubted in the early portion of the chapter from 7 to 15. He said he was not weak or intimidated, vacillating, but courageous, fearing no one. For he was in prison because he had preached the gospel. He had told Herod that it was not lawful for him to take his uh, brother's wife, remember. That's why he put him in jail. He was no politician of wealth to comfort. He wasn't drawn to that. He wasn't dwelling in king's houses. It's a sharp rebuke to the crowd who's misunderstanding John. In fact, he was more than a prophet. He was a forerunner of Messiah. The one to prepare the way. The voice crying in the wilderness. The greatest of all the prophets. Stop and think about that statement. He says that in verse 11. John never did one miracle. And he's greater than all the prophets of the Old Testament. Because he was the precursor of the Messiah. Miracles will make you great. Because it's not you who does it. It's God who does it through you. You're not the source. You're only the channel. A miracle is done, it's gone. Salvation is brought. You gain eternal life. So you can get healed and still end up dying and going to hell. Or you can be saved and die and continue to live eternally. The priority is on the spiritual, not the physical. In fact, John the Baptist came in the power and the spirit of Elijah, we are told. Now, Jesus likens his generation in the earlier part in verse 16 through 19 as spoiled, cantankerous children who never were satisfied regardless of what they heard. They were like children in the marketplace. Tell them a sad song. They don't cry. Play a little ditty. They don't dance. They just complain. Fickle. Sounds like a lot of the church today. People attend church to give the pastor a grade. How good he did this Sunday. People go to concerts, sometimes just to follow musicians. People sometimes go to church, to young people's meetings, just to go find a girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or wife. (laughs) People go to church for many different reasons, but the only reason we're to be the church is because we love the Lord and He's directing our life. Now, the gratitude of Jesus is to the Father who is Lord of heaven and earth in verse 25. Because he had hidden the things of God, the good news from the wise and the prudent. 
Now, this doesn't mean that God hides the gospel from some people that are intellectual or academically inclined. But from those who think they're wise and need not God, those who have a proudful heart, those who actually reject the good news of the gospel. You see, the gospel is a two-edged sword. The very gospel that will give light to you if you agree with what God says about you, that you're a sinner. If you resist it and reject it, then that light becomes blindness to you. Let me illustrate. If a light shines behind you in the darkness and shines forward, you're able to see what's before you. But if it shines and bright in front of your eyes, it blinds you. When you respond to the gospel and God reveals who you are, he opens your heart. He does the work. But if your heart is hard and you think that you don't need God and you're not a sinner, then you're disagreeing with God and your heart becomes hard. The blindness is not directly from God, but God is honoring your heart that you want nothing to do with the gospel because he won't force you to go to heaven. You must make the choice and he honors your choice. Trust me, when you get to heaven, you're not going to find a group of people over there in the corner of pearly gates and shiny mansion, grumbling and complaining. You're going to walk up and say, hey, dudes, what's up? What are you guys all mad about? Oh, can't believe it. I want to go to hell. God brought me to heaven. He forced me here. Never. But if you get to hell... You're going to hear everybody say, I could have gone to heaven and I chose to go to hell. Pretty heavy. Also because he had revealed them to babes. That's the flip side. Those who are open. Those who agree with God. Those who are poor in spirit see themselves as bankrupt to deserve salvation. But they trust the atoning work of Jesus Christ. His death, his resurrection. This was the most important sign of John. And to John, the people were being saved. The gospel was being preached. Unless we become like the little children, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. Notice in 26 that the light of the Father is the salvation of man, not the damnation of man. The word good there means delight or good pleasure. There is God's divine sovereignty and human responsibility involving salvation. Both are biblical. But God's sovereignty doesn't reject any. But God's sovereignty does not force any either. Again, he waits for the open heart. The adversary, Satan, he's the God of this world. Second Corinthians 4, 4. And he goes about to blind people against the gospel. 
He doesn't want you to be saved. But if you're listening to the gospel, God allows you to understand the gospel. And he allows you to understand the gospel. And then you are able to make that decision at that time, whether to accept or reject. This was the proclamation of thanks by Jesus to those open to salvation. He thanked God. The wise, the prudent, eh, the gospel, eh, it's crazy. Religious people, they don't know what they're talking about. Really. Now notice, secondly, in verse 27, you have the declaration of truth for salvation. The Father has entrusted all things to the Son. Underline that. The amount is all things. There's not one thing that isn't under the authority of Jesus Christ. The entrusting was by the Father, specifically to His Son, His only begotten Son. This includes both physical and spiritual. All things. Notice the Father alone knows the Son. The word knows is the intensified form of the word. Gnosko is epigonosko. It means to know fully, completely. The Father and the Son are two of the three persons of the Trinity. As you know, God reveals himself. He's not discovered by our intellect, but he opens up our eyes. This describes the fellowship of the Godhead from all eternity. The very first verse of the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The word God is Elohim. El is one. Allah is two. Elohim is a compound unity of three or more. The very first verse teaches the trinity of the Godhead from the beginning. What a great place to put it. Verse one of book one. <laughs> John says Jesus was in fellowship with the Father from the beginning. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and God was the Word. And verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So God rent the heavens answering Isaiah's prayer and He came down in human form to take our place on the cross and to be risen from the dead. Notice the Father is known only by the Son also. Jesus is the only one who has seen God and revealed him at any time, John 1.18 says. The Father has never revealed himself to anybody or come down. It's always the Son. The Father speaks finally and ultimately through the Son Christ Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. God who at different times and in different manners spoken times past to the fathers through the prophets as in these last days spoken to us through his dear Son. He doesn't speak through Mary. Doesn't speak through virgins. Doesn't speak through saints. He speaks only through the Son. No one else. So I must agree with God. If I believe that God speaks through other individuals or mediums, then I'm calling God a liar. I'm saying that God doesn't know what I know. Now, if I have to choose between you and God, hands down, God wins. <laughs> It's simple. And notice the Father is revealed by the Son. The one to whom the Son will to reveal him. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus objects and rejects some by his will while giving others the opportunity. 
Because if that's what it means, then God would be unjust, and so would Jesus. Because all of humanity deserves hell. There's not one good, no, not one, Paul says, quoting the Psalms. So, if everybody equally deserves hell, and I teach that the Bible teaches that God chooses a few to be saved while rejecting the rest, then I would have to conclude that God is unholy, God is unjust, and God is unfair. Because all equally deserve hell. And if God doesn't judge all the same, then God cannot be just. So I have to conclude that whoever ends up in hell or is rejected is rejected by God because they have rejected the gospel. The failure is on man, not upon God. The declaration makes Jesus the arbitrator, the mediator, the go-between God and man. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father by me. John 14, 6. Acts 4, 12 says, There's no other name given under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved. Must. Obligation. 1 Timothy 2, 5 says, There's one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. With that alone, one way, one name, one mediator. The gospel is pretty clear, very, very narrow, very straight. You can't deviate. You're up against the wall. Either God is right or you're right. Once again, the choice is easy. This is the declaration of truth for salvation. Now notice he finishes off in 28 through 30 with the invitation for salvation. Once he has told him what salvation is about, how to get there, then he gives the invitation. Sharing the Lord with others, if you're a Christian, is fine. But then don't just leave them there. You must say, do you want to be born again? Do you want to be forgiven? Do you want to accept him as Lord and Savior? If they say no, don't think they're rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ. Don't worry about it. But you must ask them. Look at 28. The call is for all to come who labor and are heavy laden, and Jesus will give them rest. The recognition is personal. And it is rest from sin and a life of sin. All of us are sinners. All of us practice sin if we're not born again. People say, well, that's a religious thing. You know, I, I, don't, I just make mistakes. Oh, really? Okay, then the mistakes you make will lead you to hell. It doesn't matter. Call it whatever you want. It's an office against God. It is missing the mark. You're not perfect. In fact, you even delight in sin as a sinner. The middle letter of the word sin is I. Darkness attracts us. Bad things pull us from within. They attract us from without. If I wasn't a sinner, they wouldn't bother me. But it's like a magnet. 
And the closer I get to it, the stronger the pull. These individuals see their need of salvation. They see the truth of the gospel. They agree with God. The picture is a life of exhaustion noticed by sin. The word their labor means to grow weary to the point of exhaustion. Sin is fun at first. And some Christians say, oh, sin is not fun. No, sin is a blast. When you're young. And at first. But it doesn't take long for it to become a heavy weight and a destructive weight. By the way you live. It catches up with you. You can... You can't run that fast, <laughs> especially today. The word heavy laden means loaded with a burden. It is the destructiveness of life of sin, the emptiness of always seeking meaning of life. How sad it is that some men and women search all life in academia to education. What is the meaning of life? They go here, there, everyone, and they die, never knowing what is the meaning of life. To be or not to be. How dumb is that? All your life? That's the question you're asking? And you have a degree? A PhD to back that up? The question is... How do you live life? You must go to the one who gave you life. Jesus Christ. The rest is by calling on his name for forgiveness. Of all I've ever done. By the blood of Jesus Christ. Allowing God to deal with my heart once again. Renewing my mind, my heart. Believing that Christ died for all my sins, if I repent, then he buries in the deepest ocean. He makes me a new creature. He gives me hope for life, because now I can hit the mark by being a Christian. Notice the command is to take his yoke upon us and to learn of him. The yoke is used to guide and to lead an ox with another ox joined together like a bridle goes over their neck. So I get joined to the sun, so the sun leads me. I follow him. Now I agree with him. The learning is discipleship at his feet. A person becomes a student of the word of God. If you're born again, you study God's word. The person is transformed through and by the word of God. The word disciple simply means a student, a learner. So once you're a Christian, you study the word. You're a doer of the word. Notice the reason at the end of 29 is twofold. I am gentle and lowly in heart, Jesus says, meek and humble. That's why we come to him. As powerful as he is, God, he's meek and he's humble. A smoking flax, a little 
fire that's almost going out. He doesn't go and stomp it, but he fans it. You will find rest for your souls. Don't miss that. Not rest from physical labor, but your souls. From the searching of the meaning of life and from being a slave to sin. He finishes in verse 30 by the personal relationship that's to be experienced by your own choosing. His yoke is easy. It means well-fitted. Custom yoke that were made for the oxen. It is wholesome, serviceable for that particular animal. God knows the particular things that you need and that I need. His burden is light, opposed to the heavy burden of a sin life. That which destroys. That which mars us and takes all real life from us. Jesus will be sufficient for all things we need that we encounter in life. If I walk with him, I trust him for that. He will be faithful to the end. Listen to Isaiah 57, 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble Spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. Tonight, God is knocking the door of your heart that you might agree with Him as to who you are, as to who He is, and what He can do for you through the gospel. Either you stand proud for rejecting the gospel or you stand humble and open to the work of the gospel. The choice is yours. This is the invitation for salvation. No other. And so maybe you just came to thinking you just listened to the music. Yeah, I'll go that Christian thing. But now you have to make a decision. Maybe you never heard the gospel before. Maybe it's the first time. This is it. Maybe it's the last time. Two men on the cross. I don't know if they heard it before, but certainly it was the last time they heard it. And they had one decision to make. And eternity was on the line. And so is your eternity. And you get to choose where you spend eternity. Now, not after you die. Lord, thank you for your grace and love. We ask you to deal with our hearts. And Lord, I lift every person here that you just speak to them very clearly, Lord. Father, we thank you for your grace and love and for the hope there is in the gospel, Lord. As you're praying, uh, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. But you and you alone are the only one that can make that decision. If you believe that you're a sinner, it's by the grace of God. If you believe that Jesus is God who became man, died for your sins and rose from the dead, it's the grace of God. Now, you must 
call upon the Lord to be saved. Acknowledging your sinfulness and your plea of forgiveness. That's called repentance. And he will forgive you and save you right tonight. If you want to accept him, I'm not going to ask you to get up. I'm come forward right where you sit. If you mean it, he's going to save you. If you're playing games, you walk out the same way you came in, lost. The choice is yours. So right where you sit, if you want to be born again, you can repeat this prayer. This is your prayer to him, not to us. And he says he will save you. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you made that decision before you leave, there'd be brothers right here.